All right, it's great to see you all and great to start the fall. Not yet. Wasn't it good to have like cool air last night? Still not fall. Okay, we're hanging on to summer. Another two weeks. Till the end. Till the end. All right, I am looking forward to having worship tomorrow night at uh, 7 o'clock with Conrado and Elena. Thanks uh, for coming out. Uh, and joining us from Spain. Uh, we work together in Spain, and uh, the way God crosses our paths is part of God's mysterious plan. And I want to kind of talk about that a little bit today. And that is, uh, sometimes God is really active in your life, but you don't even know it. And sometimes we totally get it that God is working in our lives, and we do know it. Uh, but how do we connect with God when God is uh, seemingly absent and we seeking God and we asking for God? And, uh, and then, you know, sometimes we'll go through these phases in our lives where God seems silent or distant. And then you come out of that phase and all of a sudden God seems so personal and he seems to know every detail of your life. And it's so awesome because you experience afresh the love of God and how He loves each one of us personally and that He's actively involved in our lives. So I'm kind of covering a few different thoughts here today uh, along these lines. But this idea that God is always active and uh, when we can experience what it is that God is doing, it is so rich and rewarding for us. And so our uh, desire is really to uh, just figure out sometimes what seems like random coincidences uh, in our lives and saying, wait, was that just a random coincidence or was it that God is actually at work? And sometimes at the time, we cannot actually even figure that out. It's only like afterwards right, we, we realize, we say, that was not a coincidence. God was actually at work. And so what I desire to uh, preach on today is this activity of God in your life and in my life, where God is active. But how do we uh, participate in that? And how do we experience that? And how do we see how God is uh, working in our lives in that? And I could give you so many examples of, uh, of this. Uh, probably just because I've got Conrado and Elena here from Spain. You know, I've gone over to Spain so many times and uh, met Conrado on more recently, actually. And uh, then as we were talking yesterday and the day before, you know, Conrado was telling me that he was part of a, a church plant and part of a church. And then when I asked him, like, okay, so who, who was this? Then I realized, wait, this is the guy that I know very well. Uh, in that same area, was very involved in the next church that he was involved in. And I'm thinking, how is that possible? Is that just coincidence? Or is there something like larger happening here? Uh, and so, you know, when you see the tapestry of God and how he weaves all these threads together, sometimes you have an aha moment. And you realize, wait, that was God putting pieces together. And I pray for that for your life today. So uh, today, if you want to make your way through, uh, open your Bible uh, to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. 
Now, Stephen has preached two weeks on the book of Ruth. Really awesome. If you haven't listened to it, I, I highly recommend that you go online and, and listen to uh, the two sermons that Stephen gave. One was on Naomi, and uh, I loved Stephen's uh, categorization of Naomi, a cranky old woman. Uh, so there you can get uh, Naomi and her leadership. And then Ruth, uh, the Gentile uh, who really was the, you know, who the book's written by. And so two good sermons on, one on Naomi, one on Ruth. And today I want to preach on Boaz, uh, the male, and his leadership in the book of, of Ruth. Now, coincidence or no, not coincidence? Is this God or is this not God? Okay, let me ask you this. How many people do you know personally who have the name Boaz? Anybody, is, there any, is there anybody that knows anybody whose name is Boaz? We've got one taker. Two. Well, okay, I bet you he's in South Africa. No, he's here. Okay. Maybe it's the same Boaz. <laughs> okay, so I am playing sport uh, last, last week when I'm doing my sermon prep, and I meet a brand new guy, and I say, what's your name? And he says, Boaz. And I say, what? I say, what's your name? He says, Boaz. And I say, look, slowly. And the guy's getting a little irritated. Boaz. I say, Boaz, where are you from? I'm from Israel. Okay. Boaz, is your name what they pronounce here in America, Boaz? And he goes, Boaz. <laughs> I'm like, okay, 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 I know. Americans, we call you Boaz. He says, yeah, yeah, Boaz like in the book of Ruth. And I said, in the book of Ruth? Yeah. And so I said, like, Naomi? And he's like, eyes went. He's like, how do you know this? And I said, well, okay, it's another story for another day. <laughs> okay, so like... I'm, my head is spinning, right? I'm listening to his name, and I'm listening to the way he's pronouncing his name, but something much bigger is spinning in my head. I'm thinking, wait, I've spent like a week doing sermon prep on Boaz, and now I meet Boaz. I mean, you know, I mean, it's kind of obvious. You say, God, are you like up to something here? Now, the answer for me at this point is, I don't know. I mean, maybe God is. Maybe God isn't. But I'm certainly not discounting it. I'm not saying God is not at work here. I will find out in the months to come, like, what's God up to? And so I'm interested in that. So uh, today I, I want to uh, kind of tie together three seemingly totally unrelated things, but they are very related in my head because I'm preaching. So of course it all makes sense to me. But my challenge is, will it make sense to you? So to try and link three seemingly random thoughts together, I thought I might as well mention them up front. Uh, the first thought is uh, God's involvement in your life, even if you're unaware of it. Okay, so I want to kind of say, is God doing something in your life, even if you're unaware of it? And then I want to sort of touch on some of these coincidences that you may have experienced already in your life that when you look back on it, you say, aha, that was God. It was not a coincidence. And then totally related to all of this is uh, I want to talk about a capital campaign that uh, we want to just start. I mean, don't you think it's totally related? I mean, for me, it's like so, so related. Anyway, uh, if you do have a Bible, make your way to the book of Ruth. Uh, and today I want to preach a little differently in that I want to actually go through chapter 2 of Ruth 
reading it and explaining it as we go along. And if you are like me, I like to underline in my Bible, circle things, make notes on the side, or on your bulletin insert. Uh, you can do that too, but I, I just give you a heads up that that's the way I'm going today. But let me open in prayer. Holy Spirit, I just welcome your presence here. Lord, we know from experience that when we can connect with you, we experience your love. It brings us hope and joy. So Lord, just empower my preaching today that uh, those hearing my message would be filled with your Holy Spirit. They would see what it is that you're doing in their lives and around them. And Lord, uh, like Jesus, uh, we can say, Father, we can only do what we see you doing. But we desire to see what it is that you're doing in us and around us. So, Lord, I just lift up this message today. Empower it as I preach. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Ruth chapter 2. So, again, uh, if you weren't here for Stephen's two previous awesome messages, the, the story is being picked up at this point. We got this Jewish uh, lady, Naomi, and uh, she moves to uh, a non-Jewish region, and uh, she comes upon hard times. Her, her husband dies, and uh, she's got some daughters, uh, daughter-in-laws. Her, her sons die, and she's in a really bad place, uh, and uh, no money, destitute, and she decides to come back to uh, her hometown, uh, Bethlehem, and one of her daughters-in-law, uh, a non-Jewish person, uh, is, su is surprisingly uh, inspired or has some sort of faith that uh, we are inspired by. And uh, she goes back to, to her hometown, Bethlehem, and uh, we pick up the story there. Now, there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz. Okay, anybody that said Boaz, you got to meet my friend. It's Boaz. I heard it firsthand from Israel. Okay, there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth, the Moabite, in other words, the non-Jew, the Gentile, said to Naomi, the Jewish mother-in-law, uh, let me go into the fields, into the harvest fields, to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, All right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the, ha the harvesters. Okay, now get your highlighter out, get your pen out, and notice this little phrase. And as it happened... Okay, and as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Emelech. As it happened, total coincidence. There was no sense of like, okay, she was praying and she was guided by God and God gave her a vision and God spoke to her personally. No, she was just like out of desperation, like we need food. I'm going to go out and look and... As it happened. Now, the question that you want to be asking yourself was, is this. Was God guiding her or not? 
And it's pretty obvious as we read the rest of the story that God was totally involved in this and God was directing her affairs and was personally involved in her life. And I want to make the connection for you that that is what God is doing in many of your lives as well. Meaning, you're not aware of what God is doing. You're sort of struggling along in your daily activity. You're saying, God, where are you? I'm in bad shape. Meantime, God is really actively at work. Okay, that's the point. As it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of, of her father-in-law, Emelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. Now, I want to highlight uh, Boaz and his leadership and his personality and his connection with the Lord and particularly his generosity and how he was generous and why he was generous and how God blessed him in his whole uh, demeanor, in, in his finances, in his personal life, in his family, because he had an attitude and a lifestyle of generosity. Now, let me just pause right here, because I did say we want to talk about a capital campaign, but I don't want to talk about it right now. All I want to say right now is this. This church is incredibly generous. You are incredibly generous people. And I just want to say that because I don't want some sort of weird tension here like, okay, and at the end of this message, Rob's going to be hammering us for a lot of money. Okay, so I just like want to let you be able to enjoy the sermon until I get to the end. No, 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 okay. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem. He greeted his harvesters. Now listen to his personality. Look what a type of a person he is. He says to the, the, his workers, the Lord be with you. I mean, it's just like when I come in here on, on Monday morning, tomorrow. Well, not tomorrow because it's a holiday. But normally when I come in and I just bless all my staff. I walk down to each person. Lord be with you. Bless you. May God be, you know. No, I don't do that. I'm not that sort of great guy. I just kind of get in here and I start cranking away with work. But if I was that, if I could pick up a point here, it would be much nicer if I went to Debbie and I said, Debbie, Lord be with you. Bless you. That's what Boaz is doing. Okay, he's, he's just got a great attitude. He is really interested in his workers. Now, when you guys go to work, do you go and like pray for all your employees and bless them and have a nice hour-long discussion with them before you get down to work? Maybe, maybe not. But Boaz does. He notices his workers. Then Boaz asked the foreman, who is that young woman over there who belongs to you? Uh, who does she belong to? I mean, straight away, Boaz notices that something's different. There's somebody else there, and he's concerned about this person. Clearly, knowing that she's not Jewish, she's not from Bethlehem, she's sort of an outsider, a foreigner, and Boaz would have every reason to reject her, dismiss her, but he doesn't. And the foreman replied, she is a young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Wow. So we get the idea that uh, Ruth is a hard worker and she's working away. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter. Wait a bit. He's already addressing her as my daughter, not like, hey, you foreigner, get out of my fields. 
He's like, wait, he's, he's got compassion. Stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other field. Stay right behind the young woman working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. I mean, obviously, Ruth is just amazed at the kindness of this man. She fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness? Well, the honest answer is absolutely nothing. But here's what's going on behind the scenes. She is a faithful woman. She's hardworking. And unbeknownst to her, God's hand is directing her life, providing for her, giving her favor with somebody that she should probably never have favor with on the, on the face of it. And uh, God is actively involved. What have I done to deserve such kindness? I'm only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. Wow. As Stephen explained, small town, everybody knows everybody, but Boaz has gone the extra uh, step, taken the extra interest, and in inquiring about this new person that's arrived, and it's, she has a really good reputation. Uh, her character has gone before her. And because of her hard work and her good character, uh, God is about to bless her. And so he carries on in verse 12. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. Now there's a great scripture. I mean, we can all learn from that, cling to that, pray that back to God, live a lifestyle like that where we could live, may the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. We can also cry out to God and say, God, we need to live under your wings. We ask for your protection. We ask for your provision. We ask, Lord, that you'd go before us and help us. Uh, and Buaz is just explaining this, and it's really a, a wonderful thing. Verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz calls her over and, and blesses her and asks her to you know, make sure she gets enough uh, food. And then in verse 19, he continues like, you know, helping her. And then when she gets back to Ruth, uh, when Ruth gets back to Naomi, Naomi asks, asks her, where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. Okay, now all of a sudden, Naomi realizes, hey, her daughter-in-law comes back. She's got way more food than what she should have gathered in a day. She's obviously been blessed. And uh, Naomi starts blessing whoever it is that blessed Ruth. So she passes on the blessing. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to our dead husband. The man is one of our closest relatives and one of our family redeemers. Then Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with these harvesters until the entire harvest is complete. And then we realize that this goes on for quite some time because in verse 23, we realize that um, Ruth is harvesting the barley harvest and then sticks around and continues to do the wheat harvest uh, in early summer 
And uh, that was the beginning of their relationship. Now, to finish the story out, I'm just going to tell it rather than read it. So Boaz uh, and, uh, and Ruth have this encounter, which Stephen spoke about from uh, Ruth's standpoint. But then Boaz does something which is really showing his character, and it's a good role model for you and I. Boaz decides that he's legally obligated, uh, he's second in line for uh, customs and tradition to take care of this widower, Ruth. And he does it the right way. And this is the important thing. He does it the right way, which often doing things the right way takes more time and is more effort. But what he does is he goes to the person that's first in line. And he says, hey, listen, there's something up here. Uh, Naomi has some land that she needs to sell because she's Jewish and she's been given land. And in, in Jewish custom, it's very, you don't give up land readily. God blessed the Jewish people and said, you hang on to this land. But she's desperate and she has to sell the land and she has to give it up. And he says to the person next in line, hey, do you want to buy the land? And of course, the guy's saying, hey, I can make a quick buck. This is like flipping houses, but I can just flip land. I'll buy the land. I'll do something with it. I'll sell it. I'll make money. Yeah, I'm, I'm all in. I, I'll buy the land. And then Boaz says, wait, 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 wait. Well, there's like another little condition involved here. If you want to buy the land, it's a little thing. You also have to marry Ruth. And the guy's like, oh, no, 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 I can't marry Ruth. Because if I marry Ruth, then she has an equal portion to my uh, inheritance. And then my other kids are going to like lose out. Nah, not, not such a good idea. I'm not so interested in flipping land anymore. It's like, Boaz, you're good. Boaz says, okay, if we're good, I'm going to marry her. But I want this to be done publicly in front of all the town officials. And then they've got this kind of comical tradition where they take a sandal and hand it over and said, okay, you've all seen the, the shoe being handed over. I've got lots of witnesses. And he does it the right way. And he ends up taking care of her, marrying her, and being blessed by her. I want to uh, talk about a theo sort of a theological idea here for a few minutes. Some see this story of Ruth in a whole other context. And I want to just kind of point this out. Uh, this might be helpful for you or enlightening for you. But some would see the story of God being actively involved in a much bigger way than Ruth, Naomi, Boaz would ever have known. It can be seen this way. Naomi would represent Israel, the Jewish people. Ruth would represent the Gentiles and would represent the church. Naomi, Israel, Ruth, Gentiles, representing the church. Now here's the interesting thing. The son of Naomi, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, who died, his name means, my God is king. So there's a sense that Naomi's husband represents God's covenant marriage to Israel. So Israel is joined to God in the covenant of marriage to God, her king. Naomi and the Jewish people have found themselves in exile in a foreign land. Just like as it was sort of like a prophetic uh, story 
that the Jewish people were going to be disobedient. They were going to leave Israel. They were going to go through a season of being in a foreign land. And they're going to feel like God has abandoned them. But God is saying, I have not abandoned you. You've been disobedient, but I still love you. And I'm going to bring you back to Israel, just like in the book of Ruth. And God does that. And then there's something bigger going on here. So the Gentiles, namely Ruth, is hugely blessed, which she was. And God is saying, we Gentiles are going to be blessed by the roots that we have of the Jewish people. But then the story is going to go full circle, and this hasn't yet happened. This is still to come. We, the Gentile people, are going to be influential in bringing the Jewish people back to their God. Okay, now let me just read a few scriptures in the Bible on this. Ruth 1.16, But Ruth replied, Don't ask me to leave and turn back. We'll go. I will, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will become my people. Your God will be my God. In other words, a Gentile person is saying to a Jewish person, your God will become my God. The, the Gentile person ends up having more faith than the Jewish person. I mean, it's like Ruth has got, has got it together here. But in Isaiah, the prophet, he is talking about this time period when the Jewish people are in exile. And he says, listen, for the first 39 chapters in the book of Isaiah, it's talking about the difficulties of the Jewish people. And then chapter 40 opens, and God has like totally reversed things. And he says, okay, now I'm going to bless the Jewish people. And he says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone, and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. God calling the Jewish people back, which he has already done historically. He got them back into Jerusalem, and that has been in part fulfilled. Jumping to the New Testament, Romans 11.11. 11, did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. They were disobedient. So God made salvation available to the Gentiles. But he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. Okay, that's what's happening right now. We Gentiles are connecting to God. We're experiencing God's love. And something is stirring in these Jewish people. Now I'm back to my squash playing, my sports buddy, Buaz. And I'm thinking, God, like, are you up to something here? Am I, what's my connection to Buaz? I don't know, but I am kind of interested to see if I'll have anything to do in his life with what God is doing. But then let me finish with Romans 15, 26, 27. For you see, the believers in Macedonia and Archaea have eagerly taken up an offering for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. They were glad to do this because they feel they owe a real debt to them. Since the Gentiles received the spiritual blessings of the good news from the believers in Jerusalem, they feel it, the least they can do is to return help and help them financially. Okay, here's the big idea. The people in non-Jewish area in today's Turkey, they experience the love of God personally. 
And then you get the, you know, Apostle Paul comes along and he says, hey, listen, guys, I want to hit you up for some money here. I, I know you're super wealthy, rich people, and you've got plenty of abundant money. And, uh, you know, so we, uh, yeah, we can give some to Jerusalem. They're super poor. No, 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 that's not quite the story. They were not super wealthy and they were not super rich. They were a small, struggling, hurting church. But here's the theological significant idea. These people realized, these people in today's modern day Turkey, they realized that the blessing, spiritual blessing came through the Jewish people. And now when the apostle Paul is saying, hey, listen, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem because I want to bless them. They like, we're all in. We're all in. Whatever we can do, like take an offering. Paul, take your money back to them. Now, I'm trying to connect all these random ideas. Now you see where I'm linking this capital campaign, two minutes. So here in the church, this is what I want us to do. We did this great build out. It came out better than we expected. Uh, then we noticed that the children's ministry was like not that great because we did nothing. And so uh, I've been visiting a number of different libraries, and I noticed that the standard of the library is like way higher than our children's ministry. And I'm thinking like, if you live in Milford and you go to the library there and you take your kids to that library, it's pretty awesome. If you go to Hopkinton, it's pretty awesome. I mean, most towns' libraries are way better than our children's ministry. And I'm saying, well, that's just not right. If we're going to expect people to join this church that aren't part of us yet, and they're going to bring their kids... They want their kids to be treated at least like it is in the library. So I said, well, we need to upgrade our facility. So we already started. So Everson did an awesome mural. We've carpeted the thing, uh, the, this general area, and we put in hardwood uh, floors. Well, not proper hardwood floors, but cheap imitation, great hardwood floors, <laughs> awesome hardwood floors. Uh, because Debbie, our children's director, is saying, you know, carpets are really tough to clean up on and our and Ingrid, who cleans out church buildings, like carpets are really tough to clean up when you've got Play-Doh squished in them. Can we just like have floors that our kids could actually play on? So we said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Debbie's been asking me for years to do this. So I said, yep, we did that. And then we said, okay, look, uh, the kids actually need proper, like, um, like if you go to a library, they have equipment. I won't call them toys. They equipment, they educational toys that help the kids develop or learn. And I was saying, what do we got in our children's ministry? Nothing. And it's like we can upgrade and have tools, toys that help develop our kids at the age level they're at. But these things are expensive. I mean, I don't have time to go into it. Okay, so then we looked at the children's ministry and we said, okay, we want to do that. And then I said, you know, but the bathrooms are kind of hurting. I mean, if you've been in the women's bathroom, it's kind of like, if you've been in the men's bathroom, if you're male, you're like, yeah, it's not like, it's not super peaceful to pee in that room. But anyway, uh, so we could like upgrade that one. And then like, what about the family bathroom? And so we were thinking about it. And I said, yeah, we can slap a thing of paint on there and it'll be good. And Mary Ellen said to me, whoa, 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 what about the flooring? And I'm like, oh, the flooring's great. What do you mean? What about the flooring? She's like, Nah, no, the flooring's terrible. Oh, no, it's great. It's not leaking. It's great. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, you're right, you're right, right. We need to put paint on, your vanity, fix up the floors, get it like into, you know, 21st century, and it'll be awesome. So then we said, okay, we could do that, and then we've got to fix up this office and storage over there. Long and the short of it, he said, it'd be kind of nice to get done with all the building stuff and not have to be talking about it all the time. 
could we raise $50,000 between now and Thanksgiving to do a, you know, get all these projects done? Now, that's what I'm asking you to pray about and consider doing. Now, this always elicits a response from all of us. Uh, and let me just talk about these responses. For some of us, it's like, I hate it when Rob asks for money. For others of you, you tell me that I don't talk about money nearly enough. Uh, and so I understand there's a vast um, array of emotions on this topic. But I want to say this right up front. This church is super generous, and you folks are really, really generous. So I'm not like unthankful or ungrateful. But on the other hand, everything we do in this church comes from the money that you guys give. There's no outside anything. We don't have any money coming in from outside, nothing. It's just you guys. So if we want to do these projects, I have to ask you guys to help us do that. On the other hand, some of you are saying this. You're saying, you know, Rob, I tithe. I'm super generous. And now I feel like you pickpocketing me by asking for even more than my tithing. And to you, I just say, listen, please, no guilt. You do not have to feel obligated to give. You're doing an awesome job. If, if that's where your heart is at, so be it. For others of you, you're saying, can you just like make us aware of when you have a need? We really would like to help out. Uh, and I would like to help out financially. And thank you for letting us know this need. And so... Uh, you know, for those of you in that category, we have a need, and I, I super really appreciate, you know, helping out. Now, there's another category, and this is kind of a little painful to talk about. Uh, there's some people who really detest me talking about money. And often the people that most detest me talking about money are the people that don't give any money. It's just, I'm just saying that because that's like the way it is. The people that are most generous generally get super excited when I talk about money. I mean, this is just an observation that I've made over the years. And so, you know, there it is. I just throw it out there to you. But I am asking if you can, if you can make any contribution towards the capital campaign, put it in the memo section. And, uh, you know, we want to be done with this. We're sort of in the process of, I'm, I'm using operational funds to get children's ministry started. Uh, I'd love to finish doing what we want to do. And, you know, I know people have, like, some people have a special, like, separate pocket, like a separate, like, giving thing. Like, if people want, are asking for money for missions, or they're asking for money to start a church, or they're asking for money to do a great cause, like Love Unconditional, people will say, I want to give towards those specific projects or endeavors because they're awesome. And so, you know, I say thank you. And you people have done that in the past. And so, I'm, again, I'm just super grateful for what you have done. Anyway, let me uh, just finish this. I'm now going a little bit long here, very long. Uh, let me summarize this this way. How people who want to be generous get it wrong? Well, I'd say don't get it wrong. Take some cues from Boaz. The desire to want to bless is what Boaz's desire was. It wasn't just bless me, it was bless my people. Bless my Jewish people, bless my relatives, bless something much bigger. The second point I want to make here is do things the right way before God. Boaz did everything meticulously well. He did it the right way with integrity. Do it that way. God will notice. Lastly, 
being motivated to want to help others and make a difference. And I think this really is most people in our church. Most people in our church really are desirous of wanting to help others and to make a difference. And I just say, you know, do that. Don't be focused only on yourself and yourself alone. You'll never have enough money only for yourself or enough time only for yourself. There's something super rewarding when we uh, do some of the things that God wants us to do. Why don't we have the worship team come on up? Uh, Let me just pray for you as we do this. Lord Jesus, I know that you are actively involved in all of our lives. You're actively involved in this area. You're actively involved in our finances. And Lord, sometimes, honestly, we just don't see it. And yet other times, Lord, we do see it and we are overwhelmed. When we see your hand at work in our lives, Lord, we are overwhelmed. When we look back and we think how we met our spouse or how we managed to get a a job that we got or how we managed to buy the house that we got and and we see your hand involved in all those things and we realize that you know us personally and you love us and you're directing us. And Lord, we desire more of your activity in our lives. So Lord, we just open up our hearts to you and say, speak to us, Jesus. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Why don't we stand, let's worship, and then we're going to take communion.